Hello, everybody. This is Joshua Hatton with One Nation Under Whiskey Podcast. I'm joined today, and I'm joined as always by my good friend, my business partner, my, my drinking buddy, my brother in arms, uh, the wonderful uh, Dram Golf, the, the white, uh, the white walker, the white wizard, the whiskey wizard. It sounded more like what Americans do on golf courses, which is Dram Golf. Oh my gosh, that is so good. Dram Golf. That's your pronunciation. Oh, it should be Galf. Galf. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Galf. Just that's what Samwise Gamgee says. No, Mr. Gandalf. Don't turn me into anything unnatural. Yours had a little bit of that that tighter jaw to it. Dram Golf. Dram Golf. Name's Golf. Dram Golf. (laughs) You sound like Sean Connery doing it. That's what I was trying for. Well, there you go. Nailed it. It's, that might be the first time I've ever pulled off an impression. And you didn't even have to do the yes thing. And that, <laughs> no that's... more money, Penny. <laughs> oh, Jason. Joshua. <laughs> it sounds like you made just a horrific edit there and you didn't. This is just transitioning. <laughs> I've... So, Jason. So, Joshua. <laughs> I've I've poured something um, in honor of today's guest, but of interestingly, course. interestingly, it's from a bottle that I've had probably for a good twelve years, and one that I haven't pulled the cork off of. I'd say in the last eight years. That's what you were saying pre-recording uh. button and. I'm intrigued by what has sat on your shelf for eight years without gaining your attention. Here's a question before you tell me. Okay, go ahead, go ahead. Yep. How do you know it's been eight years? What was the, was there an occasion, an event, a gathering where you viscerally remember last opening this? That's a good question. So, thank you. Eight, Pro eight, level. Eight years ago is 2013. And. <laughs> Am I right so in far, saying that? Flawless so math. far, flawless math. Flawless math. Please so tell me that is flawless math. Do I have that I'm right? I'm waiting on it going off the rails real soon, but so far, so flawless. Well, yeah. I mean, if you want to judge it in proof, then then I think we've got to go back to uh, <laughs> 2005. See, there we go. It's off the rails. <laughs> he tried to do See, some math on his feet and failed. Okay, so proof joke aside. Back to why it was eight years ago. I think it was eight years ago because, (laughs) because right around 2011, 2012, when you and I started the business and then started growing the business, Mm -hmm. I was pulling back from my blog, which was Mm jumalt.com. And it was through jumalt.com that I went, on this this path of discovery. Now, not that my path of discovery stopped once we started a company. That's definitely not the case. But I know that I purchased this prior to us starting the company. And okay. after us starting the company, I feel as if, especially in 2012 and going into 2013, where I was looking for discovery when it came to the the odd bottlings 
my discovery was more towards the cask samples that we were receiving. We were receiving tons of them. And I just have this, this gut feeling that I just sort of changed directions, that I, that I stopped paying attention to this thing that I really wanted to pay attention to and was trying to focus more on our own single cask bottling growth, if that makes okay. sense. So what, so, so what is this thing of, of which you are trying not to use the name? So this is a 10-year-old whiskey. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what it is as soon as I said that? <laughs> is it Glamorangi traditional? No, no, no. No, 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 okay. no, no. Okay. No, okay. this is uh, this is a ten-year-old whiskey. It's bottled at full whiskey. cask strength, right? Which would also make you say, "Is this traditional?" No, it's not. It is not an official bottling of okay. whiskey from this distillery. Okay. It's an independently bottled whiskey, but it was a mass-produced independently bottled whiskey. <laughs> And by mass produced, I mean right. It wasn't a single cask. This is mm-hmm. this mm-hmm. this was the the product of many mm-hmm. casks of whiskey married together. Mm-hmm. Uh, let me give you another hint. It says produced and bottled by Marshall's Whiskies, Edinburgh, Scotland. Sole importer CVI Brands, San Carlos, California. Wow to everything right and let me see if there's a uh there is a laser code but it's kind of rubbed off so we can't do that here i'll give you a hint you ready oh there's your hint i'm showing jason for the for the listeners i'm showing jason the capsule which is that foil part just under the cork i'm showing him the Mm -hmm. capsule which is uh it's a tin capsule tin foil capsule but it's painted Gold, shiny gold. Looks like you ripped it off with your teeth. And I ripped it off with my teeth. Is that the original cork topper, or is it's that a replacement? Not, no, mm-hmm. it's it's a replacement. This is a, this is a synthetic single cast nation cork. Mm-hmm. So actually, I, wait a second. Wait a second. Given this cork, this is a good clue, Jason. You and I <laughs> did not switch to this black synthetic cork. Until probably 2015. So I would say it's been six years since I last opened this, not eight years. Okay. Oh, I love these contextual clues. That's great. So originally, I was trying to see if this could be the classic of Isla. Do you remember those bottlings? Hmm. The the classic of Isla. But the rumor was... They had Lagavulin in them. Um, are you th- classic of Isla? Or are you thinking F- Finlagen? No, 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 no. Classic of Isla. Okay. And then there was a at least a couple. <gasps> oh, of it was a green bottle. Age. Wasn't the classic of Isla? It was. It was a green frosty bottle. Oh no, 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 or no, there, no. Or there was no, 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 one no. at one time. No, it was a tall. Yeah, it was a tall clear round. Um, but it, it's interesting because it looks a little bit, and I haven't. I haven't opened this in years and years and years and years, but I also had it on my shelf. And, and so I'm going to pause here for one second because what you were describing about, you know, the company and the milestones and remembering the last time you opened it, it got me thinking that around that same time, 
I had moved from Eastern Washington mm -hmm. in May of 2011. Okay. Across to Olala, which is on the Washington State Peninsula, north of yeah. Cake Harbor, which is north of Tacoma, mm -hmm. which is south of Seattle. Um, I'd moved over there, but I downsized my whiskey bottle, you know, a collection with a very small C. And I, I'd moved to Olala with like 40, 40 mm -hmm. bottles of whiskey, mm -hmm. which I couldn't believe. Like, it, it felt like having none at all. And then in Olala, it started to grow again and mm -hmm. I tried to downsize it again before summer of 2012 we moved from Washington State to Virginia and I got it down to again I got it back down to 40 bottles to move it across the country and one of the bottles that I haven't opened and it jumped into my mind is Ellenstown and <laughs> Ellenstown 10-year-old, there you go. Which which I'd have to double-check my shelf. I don't know if I've got an open bottle. If I do, it's going to be oxidized to all hell, and it should not be on my shelf any longer. <laughs> but I remember that. So you're saying Ellenstown, the rumor was that that was Ardbeg? So the rumor was, uh, and I'm nosing it, and it, it, it smells of Ardbeg to me, but... You know, you and I know and our listeners know I'm really terrible when it comes to blind tasting anything. But the rumor is, because there was two Ellenstowns. There was the Ellenstown 10 and the Ellenstown 12. And the rumor is the Ellenstown 10 was Ardbeg and the Ellenstown 12 was Lagavulin. There you go. There's yours. There they go. And, you know, for the benefit of, of Vadim, who, who worries about my... My heels on my shelves, you know, being oxidized. Um, that's about half, half full on that. Yeah, yeah we're about, that. about the level. same. About the same. <laughs> yeah, just mine's just below the ten of ten year old. Uh, on wait. the left side of the label. On the left side of the label. Oh, oh, I see. Yep, and mine is just above that. So there you go. I did. I moved this bottle across country. It was one of the forty, and you know. For anybody who's done a Zoom with me or seen any recent photos, the collection is a little bigger than 40 and really starts to live up to the use of the word collection. But mm -hmm. All right, well, so I'll keep I'll keep the Ellenstown yeah, beside yeah, me keep, in case I want to year. jump yeah. jump into it and remember. My, my pour is also from the Wayback Machine, and we discussed it in the last episode, but I but I didn't pull it out. Yeah. And and you didn't mine, pull it out for air. <laughs> I didn't take it out for air. Uh, air is the enemy, and and so this is this is one of my this is one of my good art bag. Oh, have I given away too much? Uh, one of my good art bags um, that I don't want to end. And I every time I take a sneaky wee pour from it, I am thinking, oh, you're up against the oxygen monster here. And I did think of Vadim this morning. Uh, this is probably running about a quarter left in the bottle. I have, I've oh, lost geez, the fight. Geez. And I can tell you 100% that this came across country with me as well because I picked up this bottle at the distillery in 2009 for £35. Pounds. Okay, 2009. Distillery only... So it wasn't a distillery only, but the distillery was selling them. 
So 2008 was roller coaster. 2009 was Jeepers Creepers. What was 2009? I'm so glad you're going down that path because it is not going to help you guess what this is. Oh, okay. So, but it's going to allow me to make a point that I want to make. Do I keep guessing or, or do I just do you just put what? me out of my misery and our listeners out of their misery? What if I told you it was bottled in 2006? Oh, geez, Louise. Okay, that changes things. So 2006. I don't know. I, I just, I, I, time is working against me and my brain, Jason. Like, What if I told you it was neither very young nor almost there? It was neither very young nor almost there. It was still young. You've got your still young. Look at that. <laughs> there you go. There's the box. Very young, bottled in 2004. Still young, bottled in 2006. Almost there to be bottled 2007. And then they announced the 2000 in 2008, they would release the 10 years old. And so... Which was the Renaissance, right? They called that the Renaissance. Right? Yeah. Yes, they did. Yeah. Which at this point, they hadn't thought of yet because it's not on the box. And, and so, yeah, in 2009, three years after its release for £35, and it's 56.2% alcohol, distilled 98, bottled 2006, so somewhere in the wheelhouse of, of eight years old, could be seven, mm -hmm. uh, could be eight. It was still available at the distillery. And think, you know, and this, this I think, leads so beautifully to our, to our interview today is think about where Ardbeg has gone in the last decade. <laughs> think about the committee bottlings. Think about the special releases. Think about the alacrity with which Ardbeg disappears from shelves and online mm -hmm. stores mm -hmm. and distillery, right? It just moves like greased lightning. Mm -hmm. And yet still young was still there. That's what they should have called it, still, still there. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, three years. Wow. Three years after release. That, yeah. what, what a time to have been alive and a whiskey fan, right? 2006 for me was just about the time where I was, oh, okay, whiskey can be good. Oh, that's interesting. You know, this is this was my first, that's when I first started discovering it. Meanwhile, you're on, you're on Isla at the distillery in the thick of things. I was so far behind you. Wow, that's amazing. That is just amazing, right? Jason. And so it's, it, you know, it's one of the things we talk about with whiskey and one of the things that attracts me to whiskey and and when people talk about the rapid aging and how you could get you know, a particular set of flavors, and I say, oh, yeah, I'm sure you can. One of the things that I like about whiskey is, is its historical context yeah. and the story that it tells along that historical spectrum. Mm -hmm. And I think you just absolutely hit it out of the park on that one. Is For this being bottled in 2006, I was a decade into my whiskey journey at that point. Mm -hmm. But still, young wasn't on my radar in two thousand and six. Right, I was in America. It was being at the distillery in two thousand and nine yeah. 
and seeing it on the shelf and thinking, oh, still young. Oh, that's the new Ardbeg stuff. £35? Hmm. <laughs> Do I want to pull the trigger on that at 35 mm. it's, it's on the younger side. And I was there with my very good friend, Carl England, oh, yeah. Uncle Carl, yep. who you know as well. And... And we went ahead and, and bought it. And I'll, I'll say one more very quick thing about Island and about that trip is that was the trip where Carl and I were on the ferry to Isla mm-hmm. the day that the Kilhoman inaugural release was released. That's right. You're right. And it sold out while Carl and I were on the ferry. And I think it was even the next day he and I were at Lagavulin Distillery mm-hmm. and someone at the front desk there was on the phone saying, I'll be right over to pick up my two bottles. And I couldn't help overhearing and I, yeah. you know, being Scottish, you know, you're allowed to ask follow up questions when you accidentally overhear. And I said, oh, that, that's interesting. Which, which distillery are, are you heading off to pick up your couple of bottles? And they said, well, actually, it's the new one on Isla, the Kilhoman. Um, uh, I've got my two bottles over at Kilhoman. Uh, and I said, oh, we missed out on it. You don't happen to know anybody, do you? And they said, no, I had to call in favours to get these two. And so that was the Kilhoman inaugural, even though on the way to Isla, on Isla, didn't get any bottles. Did, did ultimately get one at auction. And we... Gosh, we we tasted one. We we had one poured for us uh, at Skerrill's on Skerrill's Isla house. The, yeah, on our right. first trip there, yeah. March of of twenty twelve. Mm-hmm. We had the inaugural poured for us, and it was absolutely delicious. Oh, so, yeah. anyway, but but look look what I just did, right? And and I don't apologize for it. I go from <laughs> Ardbeg bottle two thousand and six to being on the island two thousand and nine to telling you about Kilhoman while I was standing at Lagavulin. Then we talk about Skerrill's in March two thousand and twelve. We've just covered. Six years here mm-hmm. with one pour. And that that cool. to me is what the historical context of whiskey is all about. And why I know this is oxidizing. I know I'm fighting a losing battle here. I know when I return to Still Young for the first time in, in many years, it doesn't taste like it did when it was first opened or yeah. newly opened uh, or recently opened. So is it is it Still Young? It is. It is still young. It's gosh. Now, now what I'm drinking was distilled 23 years ago, but uh, but yes, it still left its woody home in mm. 2006. Mm. So, cheers, cheers to still young. Cheers to mm. that. And uh, still, it's still lovely remembering all those all those wonderful memories. So let's let's pick up this conversation mm-hmm. um, once again, but. But let's do that after we hand it off to Dr. Bill, to your good self, to myself. Is there anything you want to mention before we hand it off? Nope. You always ask me that question right when I'm most excited to go hear from the guest. So let's press on. Uh, Bill, good to see you again. Thanks good to be so here. much for agreeing to a second part. We have been excited about this for a, a good while now. And, and we have to say the response to the first episode of season five with you on it finally was wonderful. I want to jump actually back into some of that audio. 
Okay. I was re-listening to it in, in preparation for this episode. And buried in amongst it all, you said, I'm a yeast physiologist by training. And boy, am I filled with regrets that we didn't hit the pause button and get more out of you on that. Mm-hmm. Could you describe that to us? What was that training like? What did you learn? And, and what are some of the things that we, that we don't even know about yeast? Right. Okay. Um, I'll start with the, the last question there, Jason. And one of the things that you possibly don't know um, about yeast. Sorry, I'm just, I'm getting... Uh, no, in interview in my <laughs> office now. Fuck off and leave me alone. Sorry. Um, <laughs> yeah, one of the things that you may or may not know about yeast is that yeast is everywhere. And in fact, our bodies are totally covered in yeast. And what keeps it mainly under control is the pH of our body chemistry. And, you know, obviously, occasionally, um, the, the yeast can get a hold and go wild. And I'm talking about strains like Candida albicans, which is the, the yeast that causes thrush, which, of mm-hmm. course, guys ah. and girls can get in their mouths and ladies can get in their... And um, the the other one is Tinea pedis, which is the yeast, the fungal infection that causes athletes' foot and things like that. But by and large, um, the yeast is kept under control. But if all of us on this call today, especially David Blackmore, the filthy, mucky bastard that he is, if we were to swab our bodies um, and then spread it on an agar plate, you would get lots of yeasts growing up. So yeast mm-hmm. is everywhere. And it's one of these wonderful things that since Louis Pasteur discovered that what was mm-hmm. converting the sugar to alcohol was not God is good, as the ancient Egyptians used to say, but it was actually a microorganism. Um, Mankind has turned that to our advantage and yeast is used for all sorts of things. So most obviously it's used for fermentation to create alcohol for in the world of liquor. Um, It's Mm -hmm. also used for flavorings and, you know, a, a lot of savory things, potato chips and things like that use yeast extract. You can actually buy yeast extract on its own. Uh, The famous brand name Mm -hmm. here is Marmite. In -hmm. Australia, Vegemite. Um, And um, so it's a most useful organism. And certain strains of yeast are also used to synthesize um, chemicals which are used in medicines. So yeast is something that to the uninitiated, yeast is a bad thing. But to the people who understand, yeast is one of the most wonderful, mm. magical things in the world. And when you think of yeast, God is indeed good, in my opinion. <laughs> so that, 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 that's one of the things that maybe you yeah. don't know. But um, in, in terms of my studies, um, I, I studied cell biology and biochemistry at university and in Glasgow. And most of the work... I did there. Most of the studies were on human 
and animal cells, um, and we only mm. vaguely touched on elements of microbiology and things like that. Um, so when I finished my BSc, um, I loved university life. And, you know, if I'm quite honest about it, um, it wasn't just the academic aspects of university <laughs> life. It was mm-hmm. this as well, you know. <laughs> That was the sign my pal Graham and I used to use for a certain activity, which as a family man, I can't possibly mention now. But um, I wanted to continue my studies both from a scientific perspective, but really just from a fun perspective. So the obvious thing for me to do was to study for a PhD. So I, I was already a reasonably highly trained and qualified scientist. And the trick with doing a PhD is to find a university which actually has grant funding for you to do your research. And, you know, Mm -hmm, it could be the case that you could be the most fabulous guy or gal in the world. But if the university department doesn't have a grant for you to study, you can do one of two things. You can bugger off or you can fund it yourself. So you really need to to find somewhere with a grant. So with that in mind, I wrote to all sorts of other uh, departments. Uh, My own department at Glasgow um, only had one grant. And the, the, the kind of rule of thumb was that they tend to look outside the department uh, before they give it to their own departmental students. I'm not sure what the reason behind that is. My own theory was that they already know that their own students, what idiots they are, so (laughs) they know you too well, so they take people externally in at first. So, you know, I I wrote to a couple of other departments in Glasgow. I, I wrote to the University College London. I wrote to one or two others. And I wrote to the famous Heriot Watt University in Edinburgh, where I knew they did um, work on sort of cell, cell division cycle studies. So my PhD supervisor was originally kind of looking at um, the, the growth and division cycle of yeast from the perspective of synchronizing division to maximize production of chemicals whether that be alcohol or medical things. So, you know, it wasn't exactly what I was looking to do, but after the great melee of the summer holiday and everything, Harriet Watt was the one that actually came up with a degree of funding for me. So I, I, I'm happy to admit that when I went to Harriet Watt, it wasn't so much that I felt this would be the funkiest subject in the world. It was just they actually had funding for me. And then, of course, once I went through there, I realised that uh, Harriet Watt had a world-class brewing department. And at the time I was there, they were starting to work more and more with the the, the Scotch whisky industry. And I'm just going to call up uh, something on my phone and hold it up for you here. Um, can you see that, guys? Oh, look at that yes. handsome young man. Yeah. Yeah, that handsome young man and Billy Lumsden. Um, well, that, that, <laughs> that, that, that handsome young West Indian man is the legendary Professor Sir Jeff Palmer. And, and that photo was taken. I, I took Jeff out for lunch to celebrate him getting his knighthood. 
and he actually got his knighthood for all the work he does in race relations. So Jeff, as a Jamaican living in Scotland and London, advised the Metropolitan Police on race relations. Um, and that's wow. why he got his knighthood. But he is actually a, a legendary brewing scientist by training. And it was Jeff that, for whatever reason, decided to take me under his wing uh, and advise me and, and tutor me a bit. And he said, Billy, he said, I know you're interested in brewing. I, you know, my, my scientific studies were using Saccharomyces cerevisiae, good old classic brewing yeast for fermentation. Mm -hmm. But he reckoned that there was possibly even more future in the Scotch whiskey industry. So while I was mm. doing my scientific studies, which were primarily looking at the metabolism of yeast rather than their alcohol-generating capabilities, I forged friendships with people in the Scotch whisky industry. And then, as we have mentioned many, many, many times in previous discussions, in 1984, I had my legendary first proper sip of single malt Scotch whisky, which was the Glenmorangie 10 year old at the time. So, my, my mm -hmm. studies sort of almost indirectly led me into the Scotch whisky industry, if I'm honest about it. Mm -hmm. Did wow. you see the, the project from Rogue Brewing maybe 10 years ago? I'm not too sure on that time frame, but their lead brewer brushed the the yeast out of his beard yep and then that's what they used in the fermenting yep. of the beer yeah i mean and I, 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 I didn't taste the product of that but it's a perfectly feasible thing to do and there's no question that having a fine bristling bushy beard <laughs> such as the one you have yourself uh, dram galf um you're bound to get lots and lots of yeast in there so um i i have no issue with that at all and you know, some people would be freaked out by that, but, you know, yeast is yeast, whether it comes from your scrotum, your beard, or a, a pre-bought culture. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll keep our eyes open for Billy Lumsden projects uh, from uh, our begging well, Glenmorangie then. Well, the, um, there was a, a Glenmorangie product where you did use wild yeast. Yeah, yeah, Alta. Uh, um yeah, can, can we talk about that really quickly? For and, sure, and for sure, yeah. Because, because, Joshua, that was my favourite ever whiskey project I worked on. Now, it might not right. necessarily have developed into the most wonderful whiskey I've ever made, but it's a project I always wanted to do. And, and you know, that, that came from my university studies. So, uh, again, um, I, I knew... What really kicked this off was partly my own personal interest in yeast, but something that mm -hmm. the late, great Michael Jackson said to me, and I think documented in one of his very early books, and he believed that Glenmorangie had its own proprietary yeast. You know, in, in the same way as a lot huh. of the American bourbon distillers have. And, you know, that delighted me because I was frankly a little bit disappointed that most of the Scotch whisky industry uses the same yeast supplier. Uh, but mm -hmm. try as I might, and I even worked with our company Archivist, we couldn't actually find any record of this. So obviously I decided there and then that we were going to have our own proprietary unique yeast. 
And as I said earlier, the, the, the choice of where I found this, there was, there was loads and loads of places. But we do grow our own barley, uh, the, the famous Cadball barley in the fields surrounding the area where Glenmorangie House Hotel is. Mm-hmm. So while the barley was growing in the fields there, we, we hopped over into the field and basically took some ears of green barley from the field. And yeah. basically pressed them onto agar plates, which had been sent to us by Lalamand, who is one of our main yeast suppliers. And we 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 swabbed them onto the plates, sealed the plates, put them in a refrigerated container, and sent it back down to their laboratories. Because you know I don't have the capability in my own laboratory to culture up quantities of yeast, and you know the <laughs> sure. the, the the plates were covered in wild yeast. So Lalamand isolated a handful of varieties which had genuine fermentative capacity. And eventually we narrowed it down to one which was similar genetically Mm. to Saccharomyces cerevisiae, so from the same family. And that became our own unique wild yeast. Wow. What's the time frame of all this? Because, you know, I'm thinking about when... When you're creating a whiskey product, whis- whiskey has it's an aged product, mm-hmm. so it, it takes a while to plan, to develop, mm-hmm. to make, to mature, etc. So, what what's the time frame that yeah. that we're looking at? This? Yeah, the, the the time frame for that experiment, Joshua, was kind of eleven to twelve years, and you know that included a yeah. couple of years to develop, isolate, culture up the yeast and put it into production. And then just under 10 years of maturation. And, you know, I I can't Mm. remember exactly, but it was round about eight and a half to nine years. And one of the reasons why I didn't let it go on much more than that is that the differences in character in the new make spirit were quite detectable. But, you know, after... Nine, ten years of maturation in good quality cask, you're getting less and less and less and less of that difference. But mm-hmm. the, the most remarkable aspect of that story is that um, by the time we had sampled the barley from the field, and you know, the, the, the barley, spring barley, so that was sown end of February, beginning March, we, we actually sampled the ears of barley in May, June time. And by the time mm. uh, Lalamand had cultured up sufficient quantities of it to give me roughly one week's worth of production, you know, this took quite a long time. So that that was mm-hmm. kind of May, June time. And the yeast was ready for use in June the following year. And mm. guess what? The very same barley that we took the yeast from, our own Cadball barley, had been harvested in September. It had been dried. Mm. It had been stored to break dormancy. And then it had been malted and delivered back into the distillery in June the next year. Mm. So we used the yeast 
to ferment the very same barley it came from. And I'd love wow. to claim credit for that, but that was total <laughs> serendipity. <laughs> continues a the theme it's from a, the first interview. Yeah. <laughs> right, yeah, exactly. The serendipitous yeah. things yeah. that happen. But 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 I, one last thing, Jason. I, I'm sorry, I know you have a question here. but It's about the yeast. But, it's right within the same topic. You know what, Jason? I'm a generous man. I'm a generous lover. You go ahead. You, 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 you ask your question. I thought I could feel something. It, so we talked in the last time about, you know... So, sorry, can yes. I, can, when you say a generous lover, Joshua, that means you give your partner three minutes worth. <laughs> oh, is it supposed to go that long? Okay. Yeah, yeah. maybe over three occasions. Right. And so, and so you know, we talked about your different yeast and, and performance. Here we are back to performance again. How how did this particular yeast perform for you? We do talk about yield in the industry. Yeah. Did it come up short? Was it within a ballpark? Yeah. How, yeah. how did it look for B- you? Basically, Jason, it did come up short and, you know, not massively short. So if I'm looking with, um, you know, Laureate or something like that, uh, which is one of the, the main varieties just now, to give me between 405 and 410 litres of alcohol per tonne of malt mashed, um, I, I, I've forgotten the name we gave to our yeast. It was a kind of rough Latin translation for God is good. So our Saccharomyces... Um, <laughs> It's irrelevant, it'll come back to me. But um, our own yeast gave us round about 375 to 380 litres per tonne. So, you know, if that had been the case over a whole year's worth of production, you would start to get a bit concerned. But, you know, for an experiment like that, I was actually highly delighted that the yield was as high as that. And I I did leave the fermentations to go on a little bit longer, which can sometimes be counterproductive because if your malolactic secondary fermentation really gets hold and you let it go too far, it can actually start to destroy alcohol. So, Mm. But, you know, I wasn't looking for that. I was simply wanting to have our own yeast variety and wanting to make a different, a slightly different range of flavors. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 And, you know, your, your description of, you know, basically bottling the whiskey a bit earlier than, than you would have liked makes complete sense because I, I, I had guessed that what was coming through was, was nuance that you wanted to highlight mm. and the cask aging can just mature that out. So yeah, I was very curious as to how long does nuance last until the cask yeah. takes over yeah. and, and you're back to square yeah. one. I mean, and, and of course, there, there's no empirical answer to that question, Joshua, because it depends on the level of difference to start off with. Mm-hmm. It depends on the type of cask you're using, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, I'm going to squeeze in an additional little question on yeast here. I wasn't planning to ask mm. this, but we don't have a yeast expert in front of us every day of the week. One of those notes, just as you talked about, there there comes a moment when the yeast almost starts to kind of fight back against itself, and that's one mm. part of the process. One of those flavor notes that we sometimes get in certain whiskies would be a bile note or a baby vomit. Yeah, yeah, is one that we often talk about. Where's that coming from? Right, okay. What is that? Now, th- th- that's an amazingly 
timely question, Jason, because Ooh. guess what? I tasted at least half a dozen whiskies over the last two years, which were utterly reeking of baby sick. Now, okay. it, it, it's a chemical compound called butyric acid, and it's, it's a fault. You know, butyric acid is generally caused by poor hygiene in your distillery. And in particular, if you don't clean your warts lines, which is the pipes that takes yeah. the sugary wart from the mash tun into the washback after mm -hmm. every batch, because there's so much sugar there, you'll get bacterial infection like that. And the bacterial infection that grows up there, and I, I can't 100% remember which strains of bugs it is, but I can find that out for you. Um, it produces um, butyric acid, which amazingly carries right through the production process into the distilled spirit. And, you know, it is a fault. And I am ultra-sensitive to butyric acid. Wow. And funnily enough, I had Diane one of the young lady scientists in my department in the lab helping me yesterday. And Diane is also ultra sensitive to butyric acid. Today I had Anne, one of the other ladies, and she could barely pick it up in the samples. Mm. So not everyone is sensitive to it. And unfortunately, there are a few distilleries which have had a particular problem over the years. The most notable of them is uh, Diageo's legendary Brora distillery. And while I have been privileged to taste some of these ancient and unrepeatable Brora whiskies, almost all of them have butyric acid in them. And a little anecdotal story here. I was once in K&L Liquors with Davy Driscoll, outside San Francisco. Mm -hmm. But I went in and I was I was doing a consumer tasting event with them and David Driscoll said, Bill, I've got something I want you to taste here. And when someone says that to me, I always think, here we go, he's going to give me something blind and make me guess what it is. But it wasn't that at all. The, the, the carton of this particular Isla whiskey was sitting loud and proud on the, the desk and I smelt it and I instantly went, oh, for fuck's sake. And he said, right, Bill. He said, what is it? And I said, it's butyric acid, David. And I said, I would go as far as to say that this is probably the worst case of butyric acid I've ever smelt. And he said, out, out of, if he'd sold 50 bottles or 100 bottles, he's had at least 28 bottles returned by customers. Oh, and he wow. contacted the distillery in question. And that famous distillery, beginning with the letter B, said, no, no, that, that's that's part of the character of the, the whiskey. And I said, no, it's fucking not. That's not part of the character of it. That is a fault. So, baby sick, uh -huh. butyric acid. Apologies oh. for the F bombs there. No, 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 you're you're no, among friends no, no. here. This is easy peasy. <laughs> yep, yep. Um I, I could continue to go down the, the off notes, but I'm I'm gonna save it for part three. Because mm -hmm. we have said this uh, this has to be a trilogy. Okay. Uh, Bill, okay. <laughs> Trilogies sell. Yeah. Good uh, sequels are good. Guys, good good luck with that, guys. I'm a busy man. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to hunt you down we've had two different settings for these first two interviews we'll have a third setting for the for the final part Bill 
Bill, if I can give three minutes over three sessions, I think you could do something similar. <laughs> yeah, probably, probably, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're, you're a generous interviewee, yeah. Bill. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, so a name that, that now has new import for me, given today's conversation, Ardbeg Wee Beastie. Yeah. Now, now I know the wee beasties that are being referred to in that Ardbeg. Yeah. <laughs> um, jo- Josh and I were talking a- about this in the last interview, uh, in the last episode, not necessarily in the interview. And we thought you did something interesting there that we wanted to discuss with you, where a new addition to the Arbeg line, where you've got a non-age statement, Corivrekin, and you've got a non-age statement, Ugadal. Then you've got the age statement, 10. And I know there's some uh, additional uh, uh, add-ons older than that. But what... You know, in an industry where it's it's NES or it's eight or ten or twelve, a five. What mm-hmm. was going on there? What did yeah. you want to achieve with Wee Beastie with a big five front right. and centre? Okay, no, again, it's a very good question, and I'm going to remind you of something you said at the start of this section about Ardbeg's own wee beasties and now you know what's going on. Actually, hold that thought, gents, of wee beasties because I've got something coming out this year for Ardbeg which takes that concept to crazy new heights. You know, this is wee beastie city. This has gone mad and it's an experiment I always wanted to do along the same lines as the Alta, but much more wacky and out there. This is playing on a different type of fermentation, and we've had to register the name and the label for cola registration, so I think people have seen it. And the product is called Fermutation. Mm. I I have seen that, right. yes. Okay. And I'm, I'm not see, going yes. to tell you anything else about it, but you know, think about it, and and you you you'll put two and two together, and maybe get eight to start off with, but you'll get there. So, Jason, uh, back to your question. Um, yes, sir. That this, what I like about the wee beastie is that this was not marketing or anything browbeating me into this because we were short of stock. This actually fell out of a thought that Hamish Torrey our lovely former Ardbeg brand manager and myself always had that some of our Ardbeg drinkers were so fanatic that you know they didn't want 20, 25-year-old elegant refined Ardbegs. They, they wanted to suck the spirit straight out the spirit safe. They wanted to get as close to the source as possible. They wanted yeah. to wring Mickey Heads, the manager, socks out and drink <laughs> that liquid. You know, they were that fanatical at getting to the source. And, you know, selling the new make spirit, we all felt was just one step too far. So I thought, well, I'm going to try and make a, a younger style. And, you know, for Glenn Morangy, it just wouldn't have worked because that very delicate, mm. soft spirit at Glen Morangy needs nuanced by a nice bit of creamy oak. Whereas with Ardbeg, yeah. you could argue that at least 50% of the flavour profile is essentially what you find in the new spirit with all mm-hmm. these smoky mm-hmm. notes. So it became easier to do that. And 
know, I put together quite a number of prototype recipes and ended up with one that I felt, you know, that this actually works with the PX casks and a bit of the new charred oak and so on and so forth. And, you know, un unquestionably, it's less subtle than the 10-year-old. It's certainly less subtle than Ugadal or, or, or things like that. And mm -hmm. I honestly felt that people would find this interesting and would have a certain curiosity value. But honestly, I, I'm flabbergasted with demand. And we planned to sell X on the first year, and we ended up selling yeah. five times X. So people have really enjoyed Wonderful. the story of Wee wow. Beastie and, and, and such like. So that, that's kind of where it came from. So why the combination of the name and the age statement? Did you ever think Ardbeg five-year-old just as a one-two punch? What was the name and the age statement we, combination? We, 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 we like to give almost all our Ardbeg whiskies some sort of name. And it's kind of part of the tradition now. And it gives a little mm. bit of extra personality. And I was almost certainly quoted as saying, my God, it's a beast of a dram or it's a monster of a dram. So that's where it came from. And, and of course, we had the legendary Arinam Bestia, the beast back in mm -hmm. the day, which I always was slightly uncomfortable with because even although it was called the beast, it was one of the more subtle and creamy Ardbegs I had made. So this was kind of playing on the theme of the beast, really. Yeah. No, I, I absolutely love the wee beastie. And, you know, if, if you've seen your... Uh, your estimates ex exceed expectations. I, I might be responsible for a small pocket of that. Well, thank you for um, that. Yeah. I, I've, I've bought a, a fair rake of this and shared it with friends and, and sold bottles on to friends at cost, of course. But the th one of the ad additional parts we talk about is you can often find it for between $40 and $45 a bottle, which a single malt at 474 in a 75cl bottle in that price range that is that Remarkable. younger yeah and and I you know and I mean this in a nice way a more aggressive Isla whiskey gosh that checks all my boxes yeah. that's I, that's I, every box and you, the, the other thing I would see here guys is that um I don't set the pricing on our products, although as a director of the company, I'm often involved in the debate and can shape the conversation. But, you know, we didn't want to take the piss with this. And, you know, it is younger than the 10. So therefore, we, we, I, we all believe we had to price it a bit less than that. But the other thing I would say here is that I am doffing my cap to Diageo here and I loved their bold move to put out an eight-year-old Lagavulin. And, Agreed. You know, I, I remember back in the day when I first started drinking single malt back in the 80s, uh, Talisker was eight years old, Rosebank was eight years old. There was a lot of famous single malts that had a younger age statement on it and I, I mm -hmm. just liked the clarity and the honesty of it. Brilliant. Yeah, no, I, I, I applaud it and I, I certainly support it with my dollars. Mm -hmm. uh, I also support Lagavulin 8 with my dollars. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's another absolute de cracker. Decent product, yeah. I have to yeah, say yeah. I've seldom tasted a Lagavulin that I think is not a good product. It's a, it's a real mm -hmm. class act. Yep, mm -hmm. yep, nope, yep. very true. Agreed, agreed. I had a, a quick question. I know, Jason, you had some more um, 
Ardbeg questions coming up. I've got an Ardbeg question of my own, and, and this stems from a conversation Jason and I had in a previous episode where we we talked about how fun it can be to find variations in whiskeys from batch to batch. And one of the things that I quite enjoy about Ardbeg 10 is that there always seems to be something new to find. It's always a little different. And and so much so where, where I say to myself, I wonder if Bill is just having a bit of fun saying, you like that one? Try this. And now, now it's got a little extra twist to it, right? And, and it doesn't seem as if you're looking for strict consistency all the time. Yes, it, it stays within that that rubric of, of Ardbeg 10, and it's unmistakable, but there's always something a bit new from batch to batch. And I just wonder, is that you're doing? Is that natural variability? Like, how do you, how, how is, how is, how is that put together? And how are yeah. you creating that? I, Again, you know, I, I'm loving the astuteness and intelligence of these questions you're asking me, guys. You know, I do a lot of interviews and frankly, I get asked a lot of dumb questions sometimes, but hey, I always try and be polite. So that's an excellent question. And Joshua, I'd love we to have sit too. here and, and claim credit for slightly varying the the 10-year-old. And, you know, on occasions, I have done that with both Ardbeg 10 and Glenn Morangy Original. But for Ardbeg Mm. 10, you know, the demand for Ardbeg has grown so much over the last few years um, that I, I, I don't always have the luxury of being able to put together a consistent recipe in terms of ratio of first to second and re- to refill casks. So what sure. you are picking up on a lot of the time is these natural variations. Now, obviously, I would never release something if I didn't think it was good enough to do that. But within that, I enjoy the batch-to-batch variations. And, you know, the recipe of Glenmorangie original is much more consistent. But even within that, you still get batch-to-batch variations. And we only use first and seconds for Glenmorangie. And typically, I'm targeting a 60-40 ratio. But I, I mm-hmm. on, on a typical week, I might get three samples like this from the distillery for me to approve from the dispatch vat before it goes down for, to, to the bottling hall. And, you know, I, I, yeah. I'm loving the variation in there. And for original, sometimes it's very buttery, creamy vanilla. Other times you get a bit more of the citrusy bite. And actually, mm-hmm. one or two of the vattings of Ardbeg 10-year-old, particularly last year, um, there was almost too much first fill bourbon character in there and you know don't, don't get me wrong i was enjoying the whiskey but i thought that's not the way it's supposed to be it's moving towards a much creamier silkier style but as i say i i have much less leeway to play around with the recipe for ardbeg just because of the stock holding sure. we have sure sure cheers thank you for that well, with, with an interest in time, and I know you said at the beginning that you've got a hard Brexit, mm-hmm. I'll, I'll ask you a two-parter right. that, that isn't nearly as much time as, as I would like to discuss with you. But we understand you, as you mentioned a moment ago, are a busy chap, and we appreciate you coming back for round two. So 
But we're back to the... Th- this episode is going live on June 2nd. Okay. And obviously our, our big day is June 5. Yeah. And so so my two-part question will, will lead up to asking you about Scorch. But, <laughs> but each year... Yikes, I'm going here, to get here, fired here, guys. <laughs> well said. So, oh, so each, I just see what you did there. Each, see, see what I did there. Dealing, yeah. You're dealing with, you've got these new wrinkles, right? You've, you've yeah. got your, your alligator char from back in the day. Yeah. You've, you've got your roller coaster looking at 10 yeah. years of the committee. You've got the Pinot Noir barrels. Yeah. barrels. You've got some rum going on. Um, are, are you... Are you looking around the world trying to work out what the next unique expression can be? Does that come with its own built-in pressure? Do you get to a point where you're trying to balance flavour with marketing, with unique? What's all that look like for you? And then talk to us about Scorch, this year's release. Okay, so the first thing I would say here, Jason, is I don't balance anything with marketing. You know, if I let marketing dictate what I do, then I may as well give up. So I'm I, glad I, I gave you the opportunity yeah, to say I, that out loud. I, I, I don't mean that in a nasty way towards the, the marketeers, but, you know, that immediately gives me a handicap. It gives me a restriction. And I have no restrictions mm. other than generally, is it legally going to be called Scotch whiskey? And, you know, Mm. sometimes it isn't, I have to say. Mm. But I always try and approach things with no restrictions whatsoever. So the gloves are off all the time. And my inspiration for products will come from anywhere and everywhere. So, yes, I look around the world. Yes, I look in my own drawer beside my bedside, just anywhere that the inspiration can come from. And sometimes I'm just trying to think, wouldn't be interesting to try and generate a particular type of flavour. But what I would say is with Ardbeg, it's quite difficult to, to because you are releasing um, products which, you know, real aficionados of the brand will be able to tell the difference, but not everyone can because yeah. there's always mm. that ov- omnipresent peat there. Um but, you know, I, I, I have done some really wacky things at Ardbeg over the last decade. And, you know, the next few releases coming through are going to be pushing the envelope a little bit here. You know, some things that you would not normally think of doing. One or two things you probably wouldn't be allowed to do elsewhere. So, um, as I say, there, there is no restriction to what we're trying The other challenge is, um, you know, due to a combination of ever-growing demand, and um, I need to choose my words very carefully here, Um, you know, the, the, the dollar signs flashing up in the eyes of sales and marketing people. I'm being asked to grow the size of the Ardbeg Day offering each year, and sometimes that's just not possible. Because, you know, these are experiments I'm kicking off maybe 12 years ago sometimes. And, you know, 
particularly if you're using a certain batch of barrels. You know, you're not saying, could I have enough barrels, Mr. Wine Producer, to give me 7,042 nine-litre cases after 12 years of maturation? It doesn't work that way. <laughs> um, so yeah. um, it, it, it's a, a little bit of an inexact science. But see, we've got we've got some goodies uh, coming through, and I see. I want to keep my powder dry, but you know, Project Big and Chunky, Project Salty Dog, Project Mole—they're all coming through on the pipeline. And you know, I, I I would be surprised if you were able to work out from these names what any of them actually are, but. But if you do, if you do work that out, I'll give you a nice gift from my own personal seller. So, um, Scorch. Um, <laughs> yes, sir. B- basically, um, it, it's a kind of, there, there's a, a double whammy here. There is the whiskey itself and why I made it. And then there's a bit of a marketing story in there. So please do not ask me to talk about the marketing story because I'm not going to, okay? I'm sure you may have read it and um, (laughs) it is what it is. But when when I made Ardbeg Alligator um, all these years ago and actually Mm. um, I've been pestered by Moet Hennessy Germany to give somebody's asking for precise information and details on the way the casks were charred. And I thought, for fuck's sake, you know, that was 15 years ago, you know. Um, So (laughs) I've been trying to find records for that. But to make Ardbeg Alligator, I got Speyside Cooperage to give me the most brutal level of char they could to the extent that, you know, big chunks of the char layer were starting to fall off the wood. It was that heavily charred. And that's Mm -hmm. because I was looking for something, a a big hit fairly quickly. But these casks were very expensive and I believe there was still a lot of life in them. And, you know, so partly because of that reason and partly just as an experiment, I decided to refill them with new make spirit. Uh, and as I, I can't even remember um, when we released Ardbeg Alligator. I think it was about 11 years ago. Somewhere around there, 2011 yeah. maybe? Yeah. So, you know... I want to say 13. Was it, okay. you, you, could, you could be right, Joshua, but... Um, 13. So the, the, the end result of that is Scorch. And, you know, I, I wasn't originally planning and putting that into the pipeline but when I tasted the whiskey I thought you know I really quite like this and I Mm. think it will be sort of it'll appeal to Ardbeg geeks who would want to see the end result of what happened to the alligator casks so yeah no that's basically what Scorch is it I I called that project baby snapper (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> because it was the, the second use of the um, of the alligator cast, and my friends in marketing decided that Baby Snapper was not an appropriate name, and instead they were going to call it Scorch. And I think, oh, boring. But anyway, there you go. <laughs> it was it was 2011. It was 2011, oh, was it? right? Oh, okay, oh, so yeah. that, I, I, I thought that I thought I. 
thought it was that because you know I, yeah. I kind of know the age of Scorch, and you know the mathematicians amongst you will very quickly be able to work out <laughs> the age of the whiskey in the bottle of Scorch. Yeah, that's that's lovely. I, I also like those types of projects though, where we can now go and take our bottle of Scorch and put it next to the bottle of Alligator that we've got stored, waiting to open for yeah. some special occasion. Yeah. Yep. And and put yep. the two side by side. Yep. I, I love projects that allow Which us to was do that. Always what I was intending to do. Jason with that but you know my, my friends in marketing seem to think that wasn't a convincing enough story so they invented some old twaddle about a dragon or something like that so there you go <laughs> but, but the, the final thing I'll say is I got asked a question by someone in, in Japan and they said Bill can you tell us what is a dragon char cask and I said I don't fucking know <laughs> I've no idea <laughs> Bad Billy. <laughs> oh my gosh! Well, well, that that seems to take us right to your your hard stop at yeah. at three, I guess. Yeah, I, I'm sorry about this, gents, but yeah, I, I do have a, another a, a another little meeting coming up after this, so I hope Understood. that's given you some more interesting information. Once again, thank you for the opportunity to speak, and let's do tea up part three. Oh, Part three in person. That's right. that's the condition. Part three in person. Okay, ah. well, I, I am fully intending to come to the United States this year. David knows that, so... Uh, oh, brilliant. Yep. We will I will make September work. Thanks ever out. so much, Bill. Always right. great to see you. Thanks for right. your honesty. Closing out part two with a whiskey legend and knowing... <laughs> that we're going to have a part three when we can meet in person again. Yes. Is really, really fun and, and really cool. And I'll I'll tease ahead to, to an undisclosed number of episodes into the future here. <laughs> okay. Where I got to, I, I, I think I actually teased this in the last episode of One Nation Under Whiskey that I was about to do an in-person interview with Bill Thomas at Jack Rose. Mm -hmm. I have since conducted that in-person interview with Bill Thomas. And I, in talking to Bill, I actually referenced this series with, with Bill Lumsden. And I said, Bill Thomas, you're a bit like Bill Lumsden here. It's taken us five years to sit down and have this first interview with you. But already I want to schedule part two. Yeah. Because there was stuff Bill Thomas and I didn't get to, you know, yeah. and we, I tried to keep the interview to an hour, ended up a full 90 minutes of speaking with Bill, uh, well, a little break here and there for a fresh pour and what have you, mm -hmm. but it was a big, big chunk of recording. And when we hit stop, Bill had said, there's a bunch of stuff we never covered there that you wow. and I talked about wow. uh, before we hit record. And so to have that with Bill Thomas, to hear we have this with Bill Lumsden, it's nice to be jumping into some of these series of, of conversations. We did it with Dave Broom, where we hadn't had Dave on for, for the longest time. And then boom, 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 we keep lining up Dave Broom. And it's just yeah. brilliant sitting down, having the chats that we've been wanting to have for the longest time. And as we always say, then getting to share them with the listener, <laughs> the dear listener. And so part two with Bill Lumsden was was really tremendous. I know we we squeezed in some time between appointments for him mm -hmm. and 
and we we kind of blazed a trail through some of the questions that we had. But I know in part three in person that we will sit there and dram and chat and record. You might have more editing to do at the end of that one. That one might get a little familiar. <laughs> if you know what I mean by a little familiar. I, I'm familiar with, 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 this, with this term here. <laughs> But wasn't wasn't that a ton of fun and, and learning a bit more about yeast and, and being able to yes. really you know p- place him as a scientist again we talked about it leading into the interview there but you know even when we talk to people and I and I did the same thing with Bill Thomas and we've done it with everybody we've spoken to I thoroughly enjoy placing people the the interview subject within their own historical context mm-hmm. so when Bill Lumsden comes to us as the creator of Ardbeg releases and Glenmorangie releases, there's so much more on the Bill Lumsden yeah. historical spectrum yeah. that that we don't know, we haven't known, unless you maybe followed some interviews with him in some other places. But giving him a chance to to even just in his own mind put on the white lab coat mm-hmm. of of being uh a yeast physiologist, or yeah, a yeast physiologist yeast was was what a what a job title to then be the man behind the Ardbeg committee releases. <laughs> and and speaking of which, I think one of the most refreshing things for me from this conversation was in speaking with Bill. We got to dig past the marketing that Ardbeg mm. does, mm-hmm. and I think we said it in the interview. You know, Scorch was not fully on. It was not fully on my radar initially, until he said, "Oh no, no, no! We these are the reused casks. These are the second fill casks from from Alligator." You say, "All right, now we can do a side by side of Alligator to Scorch, and see what second fill recharred casks or second fill." charred extra heavy charred casks are going to do like scorch didn't make sense it would it's, it's a fun name the label looked fun and all of that but when we get into why they chose the name scorch and now we hear it's a throwback to those original alligator casks now all of a sudden i'm excited and so i'm glad that he was able to talk about that and and my hope is my personal hope is that that aspect of releases moving forward gets incorporated into the overall fun story that Ardbeg always does. They always have a fun story. They always have a fun release that they're doing. But that little bit of information that, that you know, I like seeing that connective tissue uh, there. And that's important for me as a drinker. In, in talking about the committee releases, I've poured another Ardbeg here. And and it's been interesting because some of the committee releases have, have sat well with me and, and some haven't sat nearly as well. Mm-hmm. And we always say roller coaster, roller coaster, roller coaster, mm-hmm. roller coaster, roller coaster, mm-hmm. roller coaster. And invariably you say, and I, I just had this conversation with Elijah the other day, where you say, <laughs> This committee, whatever the name is, this one's good. It's no roller coaster. Yes. And and it's <laughs> all the time. It's a tough, all the time. It's a, it's, a tough, it's a tough spot to be. And so the, the committee bottling that I just poured here is is one that invariably comes 
it's the next thing I name when mm. someone says, so, so what's your favourite committee? Well, the answer is always roller coaster. Well, what's your next favourite? Mm. Well, I quite liked, insert this name there. I would say, because I know you weren't the biggest fan of Alligator. Indeed. You weren't as big a fan of it as I was, that's for sure. I think I would enjoy Alligator returning to it. I didn't like all of the selling it as the big char, the heavy char, the alligator char. Because it didn't present that way. And it, then it was this big yeah. lemon meringue yeah, exactly. pie, yeah. fresh citrus, coastal sea malt. Yeah. If you pitched it as that, you might have got my attention, but all the, the char, 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 which is why we have gone ahead and ordered some scorch because I do want to revisit it with more knowledge of alligator. So, yes, yes, yes. yes, yes. So, so, so that was just to, to put some leaves on those branches of why Jason is not a big alligator fan. Continue. I would vent. So I, I know you and I, you and I definitely are, are not in the same camp when it comes to the next best committee release after Roller <laughs> Yeah, you said Coaster. some strange things in the last Lumsden episode that I haven't stopped thinking about since then. I think you mean I said some correct things. Anyway. <laughs> I, I think I've gone through a tunnel. <laughs> I'm going to go out on a limb here and mm-hmm. say that your second favorite one... <laughs> Is Dark Cove. <laughs> I was trying to keep the color from you as well. <laughs> was that right? It's Dark Cove. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it's it's Sherry meets Ardbeg. And, and again, I think it shows the tension between what one can do um, in charge of whiskey projects, whiskey maturation... And what happens when that release thing gets into the hands of the marketers? Because you get things like uh, dark sherry casks, mm-hmm. just just like we ran into, you know, the the dragon cask from Scorch, right? Where you're like pe- people playing marketing bingo in a boardroom <laughs> have have come up with some words here, and so I think it's pretty easy to dismiss Dark Cove. When you see things like dark sherry casks, mm-hmm. the darkest art bag ever, like that's that I don't think is doing itself any any service with whiskey nerds, whiskey geeks, art bag hardcore fans. But if you can get past that and access the whiskey, I was very pleasantly surprised by Dark Cove. You know. Uh... The more we talk and the more it sounds like we're we're shitting on the marketing department and and perhaps suggesting that the marketing is not necessarily doesn't match the whiskey. I can't not help but think that it's also fun. Like so long as you're in the know, so long as you know what's in your glass, what it's comprised of, I like the fun. I, I don't have too much against it so long as I'm getting the truth fun. behind it. Do you, I, or, do you hate, I hate the fun? fun. Yeah. I hate hate fun. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm just, I'm not in this to have fun. <laughs> Isn't whiskey supposed to be fun, Jason? So what about this then? What about the fact that the fun doesn't go far enough? It feels like corporate fun. It feels like if you went to a corporate team building retreat and the person in charge of the schedule said, 
boy, are we going to have fun. Mm -hmm. You would immediately roll your eyes, look at your closest friend within the corporation and go, this is going to be fucking miserable. And you would both know that that's exactly how it would play out. Corporate fun is always safe fun. It's a version of fun, but it's a lowercase f fun. See, but, but here's the thing. You're talking to someone who loves Disney and going to Disney World. Oh, right? It's, it's oh. like every, everything is built to an oh. eight, eight-tenth scale, right? Everything is just almost, just like this is just almost. And I, I kind of like that. I'm okay being living in that, that spot that you find so incredibly uncomfortable. <laughs> wow. Okay. Okay. So moving on. What have you done a second pour? I did. Yeah, I'm doing a second pour. And so, what, what's your second pour? And then we'll we'll thank Bill, and then we'll jump off into the news. Because yeah. boy, do we have some. Oh, boy, do we <laughs> again. Let me make sure I'm pronouncing this correctly. Good news. Am I pronouncing that correctly? Good. Good. See, I would say good. And you said good, like Gouda, mm. like the cheese. Good. So what I'm pouring is a very interesting release because there was a committee version of it. Hmm. And then there was a distillery only version of it. Hmm. And they were different. And they were different by 0.2 percentage points on the ABV. Hmm. And hmm. I preferred the one that was 0.2 less than, and that was the distillery version. So this is, and mm -hmm. this is my second favorite committee release mm -hmm. after Roller Coaster, mm -hmm. and it's Perpetuum. And that was the very strange thing that you said on the last Bill Lumsden episode that I have not stopped thinking about since you said it. Oh, such a brilliant whiskey. I think it does a wonderful job of honoring older style, softer art bag, which you know I'm a big fan of. So Perpetuum was one of those funny ones where I remember being at a launch of Perpetuum in DC. Mm -hmm. And and the word around the tasting was that it was a very feminine art bag. And for those who wanted... Said a bunch of white men. Go on, continue. With, with beards. And, <laughs> and, and, that, and I think, you know, if you, you know, I remember this from way back in the Good Scotch Drink days when I wrote a review of Arem Nambesht. Mm -hmm. And I talked about Arem Nambesht being kind of an old dusty lady up in the attic. And... And the Besht part of the name, the Beast, really didn't play out. Didn't but if fit. but if you wanted to talk to me about older, softer, gentler, arguably more feminine Ardbeg, I, I would listen to what you were saying. Given our conversation about Besht in the last Lumsden episode, given your mention of Perpetuum in the last episode and again today, it really fits your Ardbeg palette and absolutely did not fit mine. And now you've got me curious. Yeah. What was your take on Aura Verde? I'm going to be 100% honest with you, Jason. I never had it. I've never had a sip of it. Oh, interesting. Yep, yep. It was, it was one that, that 
was on my radar. I wanted to try it, and I just never got around to trying it. I, I, I missed getting the committee bottling, and, you know, I was feeling FOMO for all of those who got the gold bottle of it, and, you know, there's that. But, yeah, I, I, never, I never got to try it, so I can't talk to it. Okay. I've, it's my most disappointing artback is the Oro Verde. And and that could be part of the reason why I didn't grab it because I, I don't I don't think that you're alone. I think there were a lot of people who who thought it wasn't to their palate. But but here's what I have to say. Um, this is my second favorite committee release. My jam all day long is Ardbeg like roller coaster. Like very young, like still young, or like you know, we beastie at five years old, right? I I like those bigger, punchier art bags, but it's always nice to just put your feet up, right? Relax a little bit and pour some perpetual and pour some Arinam based. And the last thing that I'll say about the perpetuum, mm-hmm. yes, it has something in it that I think so. It has something in it that I wish other Ardbegs had. There's a salty component to it that is ah. really almost over the top, almost over the top, but it just it packs such a salty umami punch to it. It's so pleasing. It just makes me want to sip and sip and sip. It's so interesting that you say that about the Perpetuum as it sits as your second favorite committee. As I'm just as I'm sitting here sipping this dark cove, arguably my second favorite committee. I think that's a big strong claim. Um, this dark cove is sooty on the back. Yes, and Ardbeg yep. isn't often certainly in, in the Ardbegs I've explored. It isn't often sooty. I might get chipotle pepper. I might get white chocolate, a big fattiness to it. You might get the citrus notes that we talked about coming through something like an, like an alligator. I even get those green olive notes coming mm-hmm. through the, the roller coaster with the cheese and onion crisps. I don't often get a sootiness, and yet this dark cove is delivering that. Yep. So there you go. It's that's that little break from the norm that elevates our committee uh, selections. And, and that's our faves, it. at least. And that's it. And, you know, I think, and then this will be the last thing that I'll say, is Ardbeg is such a strong spirit. It's a forceful spirit, in my opinion. For the most part, a forceful spirit. But what what I find interesting about some of the committee releases is that the difference tends to be more nuance. And that's how you have to look at it. You You have to... Focus your palate to look for the nuance. And when you find it, the reward is phenomenal. It really, it really is. And and that's what I found about the perpetual. It was that salty characteristic to it. And I, I didn't mind the softness. I don't mind softer, older style art bag. I think it has its place. But when you amplify it with that salty edge, it just becomes Moorish. And, mm, and mm-hmm, I like that. Mm-hmm. And I like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sometimes you can get that little bit of salt on dark chocolate. Yes, 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 Going yes, yes, on yep. with, with some of the art bags. Yep. That is very appealing. 
Well, as we've said a, a gamillion times, thanks so much to Bill Lumsden for making time for us for a part two and, and even back in part one, recognising the need for a part two. And now as we as we build the trilogy and we will see what I did there, build the trilogy. Ooh, you're welcome, Joshua. Yeah, I know you, you looked at me like I was saying that to my dog. So I had to pause for a moment just to really... <laughs> bask in what I was doing there. So as we build the trilogy, uh, can't wait to see him in person, can't wait to dram. It might be 2021, it might be 2022, but the the trilogy will occur and it will be more Return of the Jedi than it will be whatever was a poor trilogy. Alien? Wait, no, 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 no. You just made a suggestion that oh, Return of the Jedi was somehow a good third... It, it was Star Wars, and therefore it was good. But in the grand scheme of things, it was a terrible movie by comparison to, to Empire and, and New Hope. I mean, everybody yeah, knows I just, But I feel like as trilogies go, Jedi can complete a trilogy, whereas something like... Return of the King, Jason. Return of the King. I'll just put it out oh, there. Oh, God, no. It was too long it had five different endings oh yeah the five different so endings was so self-indulgent no it's not oh, like God. a Zack snyder film it wasn't that self-indulgent well yes yeah cinema has gone to a dark place uh in the decade decade and a half since we had return of the king yeah Zack snyder should not be mentioned in any conversations about mm. really movie making Anywho, we will have a tremendous, a tour de force third part with Bill Lumsden at a future date. Looking forward to that. Let's wake up the paper boy and transition to another segment. Extra, extra, read all about it. Life story of Playboy Penny. Extra, 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 read all about it. Me and that Playboy and trouble. Can I, Jason, lead with what I think is the most important bit of news, the most exciting bit of news. To is this the G-O-O-D? This is the G-O-O-D. You down with G-O-O-D? You know me. Regular listeners will remember. In <laughs> <laughs> if you can cast your mind back to one episode ago. <laughs> yeah, so so in our, in, our, in our previous One Nation Under Whiskey, who was our guest? Uh, Matt Hoffman of Matt Westland. Matt Hoffman of Westland, yes. <laughs> yeah, all right. Oh, my gosh. Do you see what we were doing in that new wow. segment now? Oh, look at you. Oh, Today, gosh. Joshua gets his wings. Oh, gosh, I got my wings. Uh, give me a Red Bull. Uh, Whiskey um, Cherub finally gets his wings. Holy crap. We'd reported at that mm. time that five weeks had gone by, and the trucking company that was meant to deliver our two Westland casks from Seattle to Bardstown, Kentucky, uh, promptly lost the shipment and didn't know where it went. And not only didn't know where it went, basically didn't respond to any of the emails that we would send them. And I, I'm not, I'll be very honest with you. I, I would suggest that I sent between 20 and 30 very diplomatic emails with very simple questions that that warranted answers. And of those 20 to 30 emails, I would say we received 
one to two responses. Yep. And, so. and those one to two responses did not answer any of the questions that we have previously asked. So, and actually, this is perfect, Jason, because you mentioned his name earlier on. After that episode dropped, I got a, a message from Vadim. And Vadim ah. said, you know, Oof, I heard what happened. I hope you can find it. Something similar happened to me. And I said, oh, my gosh, is, you know, was it resolved? And he mentioned that things got resolved. And he mentioned he had to get a bit heavy-handed and get mm. other people involved to be a bit heavy-handed. I'm not going to mention any names, anything like that. But I said, you know what? I spent the past 20 to 30 emails being a diplomat. Mm-hmm. I'm going to send an email that will be very pointed, a bit scathing, a bit unlike me. And wouldn't you know it? So that's what I that's what I thought when I saw it on Monday morning. <laughs> and wouldn't you know it? The next day, they found our shipment. <laughs> after seven Unbelievable. weeks, after seven weeks, at that point, uh, yeah. seven-ish weeks, they finally yeah, found we, our shipment. We had Jess, our dear Jess, in Glasgow, mm-hmm. saying, "You guys are in America. Why haven't you lawyered up yet?" <laughs> And she also is certainly, gosh, one of the most passionate Western lovers I know. Oh, and yes. here's two drums of SCM, the company she's with and deeply, deeply committed to, <laughs> with two Westlands just within your fingertips <laughs> going lost. I, I think, yes, her her suggestion of lawyering up and going hard to bring home these Westlands. And I and I said, you know, Joshua is is emailing. Joshua is staying on top of it. And then I said, Joshua has sent a very strongly worded email. Very strongly. <laughs> which is, you know, this this shipment is valued at this. The sales off the back of this are that. Um and, and then you you had such a great line in there of this is salary. This is food on people's tables. Right, like the the real world consequences yes. yeah. of whiskey going missing for a whiskey company, and then as you say, yep, the next day it was found after seven weeks in the desert. Yep, and the comment before I sent that email was, "Geez, it looks like you may be, looks like you should probably file a claim." And I led my response with, "Nope, we're not prepared to file the claim. We're prepared to get some." questions answered we're prepared to have this escalated within your organization because of re- of the very reasons jason that that you just paraphrased yeah no it's it's that, that was one of the the biggest issues we had it where we lost some of our last year's 24 year old unnamed bourbon we lost some of that yeah uh, to damage and transit yeah that's a thing that happens and you try to roll with the punches and those that we reached out to were very understanding about the loss. But when it's simply two casks <laughs> with a professional haulage company going missing, uh-huh. that's, a, that's a bigger, bigger issue. So yes, the good news is they are found. The good news is they are now sitting at our bottling hall. We are just awaiting a bottling date. because, And that was one of the things we put in. And, and again, I won't attach numbers to it. But there is a four-digit fine 
And let me just say, it is not 1,000. Um, there's a four-digit fine for missing your bottling date for any reason. Mm -hmm. And we, through no fault of our own, missed our bottling date for the Westlands. Our bottler was very understanding. We greatly appreciate them being wonderful partners on this. 100%. But now we need to get back into the schedule. And, you know, through absolute no fault of the bottling hall, they are busy. The reason we get bottling dates about four weeks in advance is because they are busy. And to now try and squeeze back into it for these two found casts, it's tricky. So, as always, watch this space, listen to the news segment on the podcast, follow Single Cast Nation Facebook page uh, for members only. Make sure you answer the questions and you'll find out when this is coming. And these will both be lottery. Still waiting on final numbers. One of them will be in the very low 200s number of bottles. One of them will be around the mid 200, mm -hmm. uh, somewhere around 250, plus or minus, depending on... Line loss and things right? like that. Damage right. and transit. Reasons. <laughs> Reasons. <laughs> yeah. um, but we are over the moon. That was some of the hardest news we delivered on the, the last episode of One Nation Under Whiskey, and now this is some of the best news we've delivered that they live. Yeah, and you know the other the other thing about it that was killing me was the fact that you and I had been tracking these two particular casts for going on four years, right? It's like I've been I've been nurturing this child for four years. Oh, we can't find your child. Wait, what? And and you may as well just fi file a claim because we can't find it. No, hold on. We've been nurturing this. We've been paying attention to this. This has been our baby. Two seven-year-old casks of Westland don't simply grow on trees. They don't. They donate. They don't. They donate. They don't. <laughs> so there you go. So yeah. uh, so happy to be sharing this with the listeners who, who uh, it was lovely to have people reach out. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm going to leave it at that. It was good to have people reach out and say, wow, this is kind of devastating. <laughs> yes, yes, it is. That's why we run a transparent industry podcast where we say, here are our hearts. Oh, I know. The Hollish Company has trod all over them. You know, the, please, the, yeah. please give us sucker. <laughs> the number of people who reached out to say, you know, oh, I'm sorry, this is happening, and I would, you know, the response is, sister, you're right, brother, you're right. Like, yeah, this is <laughs> this is something. This is something. But it is now in the past. the The casts are now at our bottling hall, and soon, dear listener, like Jason had said, these will go on lottery. And we're yeah. looking at, what is this going to be on sale for? Uh, $125 a bottle. It will reflect the single cask pricing that one sees at the Westland Distillery. And, and you know, throughout the country as well, I was looking at one that was exclusive to the New York market. And I think that one was just a hair shy of three years old. And, and that one was $130. This is seven years old at 125 so it's it's still in line with the single cast pricing, but you're you're getting a few extra years, which is pretty nice. Yeah. yeah. Oh, and <laughs> I, this is great. I really feel like we're sharing with friends. I, I feel like I'm on a phone call with friends when I'm saying this. Here's something I've said to you this week. I've said it to Jess this week. I've said it to Elijah this week. I've had those two Westland sample bottles in front of my keyboard on my desk mm -hmm, mm -hmm. since we got this most recent round of samples from Westland and we moved into the, okay, 
here's the invoice, here's the loading, here's the movement. And for seven weeks, I have looked at the last portion of these two samples mm -hmm. in front of my keyboard, on my desk, thinking, will we see you again? Will we have the chance to put these in front of the nation? Yeah. And to get that news <laughs> last Tuesday was to say, yes, gosh, what a brilliant, brilliant success over the moon that they've been found, that we can share them, that we can put them out to the nation because they're, they're exemplary. They are two of the best Westlands I have ever had. The seven-year-old Peded is the best Westland I've ever had. And I remember enjoying it as a three-and-a-half, four-year-old quite a lot. And we both did. And we said, oh, you know, let's see, let's see what this does. And then you sent me the sample. It is by far the most glorious Westland I've ever had. So it's been found. We will bottle it. It will be released. I am over the friggin' moon. Well, and well, let me say this then. So the last time you and I were at the distillery together coincided with the selection of these casks, coincided with the last Whiskey Jubilee in Seattle. And in the distillery, they had a Muscatel Westland. And I have made no bones about the fact that that is one of my favorite, favorite Westlands. We bought a six-pack of and it, didn't we? <laughs> yeah, we did. And this seven-year-old Muscatel Westland is exemplary <laughs> and that's the thing you can't really tell the hollier right you don't understand how good these whiskeys are <laughs> instead you just gotta say you don't understand how much we paid for these whiskeys uh, right <laughs> wait a second you said this is a good whiskey hold on a second all right we, we, we <laughs> exactly we right found it. um <laughs> yeah cask uh, 4856 yeah. was the one we bought the six pack of march 15 2018 there you go. There you go. Okay. And those only came in half bottles. Yeah. So that's our Westland okay. news. Jason, what else do we have to bring to our listeners, if anything? Yep. We we have a, a pickup scheduled. Uh, Jess is thoroughly, thoroughly, thoroughly in charge of all this. We have a, a, a pickup scheduled for our... U.S. retail release number seven mm -hmm. that you alluded to previously, mm -hmm. which will include uh, one online bottling, which is the Stones of Stenness, 17-year-old Orkney, That's right. that we talked about in the new segment of the last podcast. And there will be more on that coming later, not for today. And we've got our first big pickup for Retail Canada. That's right, Alberta. Yep. And so that that hopefully will will get on the move in June. And so if, if you're in Canada, if you're specifically in Alberta, go looking for single cask nation. Uh, we have some different places who will be bringing it in. Our dear dear friend Graham Usher mm -hmm. has been leading the charge on single cast nation coming into Alberta for years and years and years. And we have dabbled, we have tried, we've had a few attempts, a couple of attempts. Mm -hmm. This is the big one. This is this the, big is one. the this real is the big one. deal. And Whiskey Drop, 
Graham Usher mm-hmm. is, is Whiskey Drop in mm-hmm. Canada. So mm-hmm. do a Google search for Whiskey Drop and, and delve further there. But yeah, we're we're making a huge step into Canada with this this delivery. One hundred percent. Yeah, there's oh I'm so excited. And what's what's nice about it too for the Canadians is because Canada accepts both I mean, I guess the US does now as well, but Canada traditionally has accepted both the seven hundred ML and seven fifty ML. So because of this Canada is getting some of the U.S. stuff, release number seven that's coming to the States, but they also got some of our earlier U.K. EU stuff as well. So so if you're in Canada, uh, you'll be able to, to dig into a wider spectrum of single cast nation bottlings, which is, which is very cool. Yeah, it looks, looks wonderful. And, and Jess has headed that up. And now we've got Elijah on the North American side as well. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, bless bless both Jess and Elijah. Wonderful, wonderful human beings who, who represent Single Cast Nation as if it's their own. And that's exactly what we were hoping for when we brought them both in. 100%. Yep. Hashtag blessed, Jason. Hashtag, hashtag, hashtag my hashtag. <laughs> All right. Um, yes. And just quickly, before we get out of here, we have selected ROW, Rest of the World, retail release number three. And in the next episode, we're going to have Jess along to talk more about that. I can't wait. This, the, what we've planned for this release has me incredibly excited. Incredibly excited. So cool. Yeah, agreed. I think right now might be a good time to bring up an email that, that we received. Did you want to, to bring that to our attention? Good sir, good I do. Dram Galf. Dram Galf. Galf. Dram Galf. Dram Galf. Sometimes only... I find the Scottish accent, the thicker Scottish accents are how you breathe. I'll leave that out there to do you need percolate. A, really quickly. In the perpetuum. One of my... F- oh, look what you did there. One I'm of- hitting this dark cove so hard. I'm so thoroughly enjoying this. I poured, I poured a little roller coaster while you were mm. talking. You should do the same, Jason. Did we pour any roller coaster in episode one or part one of the Bill Lumsden? I can't remember. I remember the reason I opened my bottle, which, <laughs> which I can't say publicly why I opened my... My final bottle of, of roller coaster, but let's just say it was one of the happiest times in my life. One of the happiest times in your life. Um, what, what I, I killed my roller coaster one of the last times you and I drank together. Oh, did you? I don't have a roller coaster in my office. You don't have a roller coaster? Jason, this is, <laughs> this is a travesty. This is a Travis Williams day. <laughs> We've got... The news behind us, which is good. And, and, and it was all good news this time, which was very nice. We've received... We, yes? We can, we can retrofit some bad news on it if you want. You want me to throw in some bad news? I don't. I don't. I'm so right, tired. Let's, of, let's press on then. Let's yeah, press yeah on. let's pass on that. Let's, let's just, you know, keep it positive. Don't say I didn't offer. You know, uh, Drem Golf, Drem Golf says, keep, keep, keep it secret. Keep it safe. Keep it positive. Keep it... I don't know. Keep it uh, high, keep it tight. Keep it high, keep it tight. 
We received a couple of emails, but there was one in particular that you wanted to bring to our listeners' attention. It is so beautifully apropos. Ooh. Oh, I love that word. Apropos. You ready? Born ready, Jason. So this is the, the wonderful Christopher Sebastian, a.k.a. Seabass. Do you think he... I feel like I may have asked you this question, but do you think he pronounces his last name Sebastian, or like you do? Or I think, do you think he just says Sebastian, like, like an American does? Sebastian. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> I, feel, I feel attacked. <laughs> I feel seen and attacked. Had to follow up with the excellent feedback on the lists of whiskey episodes. Ah, I like his plural on the episodes. I loved the extra, extra episode on it, especially the version with only your voice, Don't Tell Joshua. And then the, the tongue sticking out the emoji face. Wow. And your top fives just sped on by way too quickly. Mm-hmm. I was so pleased to hear the inclusion of Wee Beastie, as I had been planning on emailing you about it anyways. I remembered you having mentioned it maybe a month ago in an episode, and I picked up a bottle for us to go on a family camping trip. I put an incredibly reasonable dent in that bottle over the weekend. (laughs) Drinks perfectly next to a fire and outdoors, which, yes, yes, a million times yes. 100%. Also accompanied it with reading so much of Freddie and Frederica by Mark Helprin. One of the most hilarious and beautifully written books I've read in quite some time. Okay, I Thanks. thought he was going to talk about Freddy Krueger. That it's this makes more sense. Continue, sorry. Yeah, Seabass and I we we email on a different plane. It's it's a lot of fun. Thanks for all your hard work. Cheers, Chris. Where he misspelled Seabass. But we'll let him away with it. <laughs> but it, it, it's so great, right? It's, it, it's one of those things that we talked about in, in each of those top fives that we put together where it, sh- it should be bottles that you pick up at a liquor store and you don't think twice about it. It should be bottles you take off into the wilderness and you put a quote-unquote incredibly reasonable dent in them. Yes. Like, yes, yes, yes. That's, that's how we wanted that list to go. Yep. And I, and I think we pulled it off. I will say I have followed up in my search for Glenn Murray 18 as, as uh, I think that was part of an honourable uh, recommendation section where I'd said I really want to recommend a Glenn Murray, but I just, I don't have a store Glenn Murray that's a go-to. And you said... Have you tried the 18? And mm-hmm. so I've got an order in for the 18. And then the Kregeliki 13 OB that was on your list, I've got the same order, has got my Kregeliki 13 on it okay, as well. Okay, so, so, so it's not with you yet, but it is soon. Exactly. Well, it's on the same order that's got Scorch yeah, for us yeah. and it's got some uh, Offerman, uh, Lagavulin and Guinness on it. So it's it's an okay little order. Okay. 
Well, it's coming together. In the in the spirit, see what I did there. In the spirit of Christopher Sebastian's Seabass's email, we got a comment from Dr. Matt Bishop, uh, also mm. regarding the the top five list. Your top five, my top five, and mm. and Dr. Matt uh, offered up his top five as well. Are we are we okay taking a break before you read the? Yeah, the the Matt Bishop. So, in the spirit of Ellenstown, mm-hmm. rumored word on the street, Ardbeg, and like the classic of Isla, rumored word on the street, Lagavulin, we got word last year about a continuing release that is a Duncan Taylor Dimensions bottling, just simply mm-hmm. of an Isla blended malt where the word on the street is that this comes from Ardbeg. And it would be November of 1997 distillate. Elijah was four years old. Our very own Elijah was four years old when this was distilled. He was just a wee Jess baby. was eight. Jess, oh my gosh. <laughs> I was one year into my whiskey journey. <laughs> I was touring the country with my old band. There you go. <laughs> Very different times. <laughs> and and so yeah, and, and so this 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 is supposedly twenty year old art bag. I and, have yeah. no idea if that's true or not, but I bought bottles for myself and Joshua. Let me ask you a question here, right? Let, let's let's make the assumption that it is. And Dr. Matt, we we will get to your thing here. Let's make an assumption that it is twenty year old Ardbeg. As someone who prefers his Ardbegs on the younger side, how's this one for you at full cast strength? It's nice. I even as old Ardbeg, I wouldn't say I recognize it as such. Interesting. It, so it, it's just was, coming off as Isla for you? Really, was Ardbeg really distilling November of 97? I remember the distillery, you know, famously reopened in 1997. I thought it was in September, but maybe it was earlier. Given that this is November 1997 distillate, that'd be kind of cool if this was some of the you know, the earlier distillate to come off the stills after it's reopening. But um, I don't know of any place online that specifies, you know, when Spirit started coming off the still again. I remember talking with Jackie and just them, you know, coming to the distillery saying, holy crap, have we got a load of work ahead of us to get this up and running again. Yep, moving from the mainland to Isla. Yeah. And having where the cafe is now just be a sheep buyer with the <laughs> roof falling in and just sheep shit everywhere. Yeah, what a it's come a long way, gosh. We're back on that historical spectrum again. Let's give the floor back over to the good yeah. doctor. Yeah, Dr. Matthew Bishop. So uh the, and, and this is uh Matt Bishop, Dr. Matt. Uh, talking about his top five. And this was on the Single Cast Nation Members Only Facebook page. And so it says, So Joshua Hatton and Jason Johnson Yellen 
you asked us to comment on our own list of five must-have official bottlings. This is difficult as my spending is limited, and as such, I'm tending, like Jason, to have mainly limited releases. I also don't want to include those on your list for fear of copying. However, this mm-hmm. can't be helped, as you'll see below. Um, I've not numbered them, oh, good. so they're not in any order of preference. And so are you ready? Yep, I am indeed. The first one he mentions, Springbank 15-year-old, which, which was my there entry go. there. And he says it's full of, full of Campbelltown funk. Whiskey number two for the good doctor is Deanston 18. And now I'm going to call the doctor out here, and you'll understand why. Because his parenthetical comment is full of Deanston Malty DNA. <laughs> He's using DNA in the way he told us DNA should not be used, if I remember correctly. You can't spell Deanston without DNA. Holy shit, that's true. Wow. Okay. Uh, the next one is Balblair 18, and parenthetical comment there, still sobbing about this not being a vintage bottling, but we must move on. Full of the ripest <laughs> <laughs> autumn fruits. Do you, did just, I mean, I'm, I'm going to take a pause here. There are a lot of people that, that lament Balblair moving from vintage and going to age-stated whiskeys. However, interestingly enough, you don't find the same lamentation regarding Glenrothes moving from vintage to age-stated whiskeys. So how do you feel? Or do you even care that it goes from vintage to age-stated? I like the precision of an age statement, Mm. even though, yes, we know older casks could be included in the preparation. Mm -hmm. But the vintage, to me was always too much of a moving target where you needed to know your your distillation year, you needed to know the your bottling, bottling year. year. Yeah. And then I always think of my very dear friend, a business partner, Joshua Hatton, where you then have to do moving math. And that's that's a lot to ask. I, I think that's unfair, to be honest. And so having an emblazoned age statement, I think, is a little bit of a, a helpful shortcut for people. So I'm, I'm I, I will say this, though. Yeah. I really do enjoy Balblair, and I would love to get some Balblair bottled for Single Cast Nation. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, I would. There's many things I would do to get a cask of Balblair. Yeah. But, you know, I, yeah. I, I would say that there, there are... And we'll go on with this list. But I will say that there are some instances where a vintage or a particular year really works for distilleries, right? With mm-hmm. Benriach, you've got 1976. With Glendronach, you've got 1993, right? With um, with Beaumore, you've got Ali Chilton saying... 2000 and 2001 is where it's at for him, right? And so so I think there's something to be said about what a distillery will do on a given year based on what's happening. And it's kind of nice to be able to cast an eye back to that vintage, even if it was released in 2015 and then subsequently in 2017. You get to track that vintage. I think that can be cool. But I do like the precision of, of an 18-year age statement. You have that wonderful moment 
from John McDonald. And you were, bless you, hashtag blessed, <laughs> bless you. You tried to go to bat on behalf of marketing departments earlier in this podcast. <laughs> John, Mac, John McDonald has a tremendous story of being called up. And I'm not going to say which department called him up, but he got a phone call from one of their, their internal departments saying the 18-year-old is absolutely killing it, but we're all out. And John said, well, I'm glad that it's been absolutely killing it. That's great to hear. And the person said, so we're going to need you to make some more. <laughs> <laughs> and he said... That's not how whiskey works. <laughs> Isn't that funny? Like that same story has been told about uh, about Spring Bank. I remember, I think, R Reynold Watson mentioning he had someone in a tour saying, oof, you know, I really, I really like this 18-year-old. And I'm saying, well, you know, it's. I'm glad you like it. There really is no more to be sold. And the comment was, can can you make some more? And he said, yeah, it's it's going to take another 18 years to get there. But you know, isn't that interesting? <laughs> but I think there are the departments who make the whiskey and age the whiskey, yeah. and there are the departments that sell the whiskey. And I'm not sure they speak the same language, as was alluded to in today's episode. <laughs> Back to the good doctor's ah, back list. To you. So the next one that uh, Dr. Matt points out is one of my all-time favorites. And if we had done a top 10 list, I think that I may put this in that. And his is the Craganmore 12-year-old. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. I, I thought about us not having that on our list. Mm -hmm. The strength on it, I don't think elevated it. To, certainly to, to my list, I will say this, and we talked about him earlier in this episode, good old Uncle Carl England. He fell head over heels in love with the Craganmore 10 cask strength release. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, that that is... 15,000 bottles. Yes. So some of my favorite Diageo, you know, the special releases, it's Craganmore. It's Craganmore and Lagavulin. Those are my two go-tos when it comes to the distillery, you know, the Lagavulin special releases. Anyway, so did what you see he... the new labeling on the Lagavulin? I did. Yeah, that I, special release, kind of twenty-something like year old, twenty-six, twenty-seven. Yep, I I'm currently wearing plus three chainmail, and um and a plus three uh, Glencairn Vorpal Glencairn for drinking those. I'm sure someone somewhere is loving this. Someone is. Anyone who's played D&D &D is loving this. So uh, the reason he loves the Craganmore, he says, is full of gentle wood smoke and delicate floral notes. And then he, he yes. Very quickly, I know I've said this on the podcast before, very dear friend of mine, Joe Pergola, when we lived together in eastern Washington, mm. we both taught philosophy at Washington State University, me only for a semester. And then I moved to University of Idaho. I, it didn't go so badly that I lost my job entirely. I just moved to universities. His eldest at that time was about three years old mm. and called Craganmore the Winnie the Pooh whiskey because it was so honeyed. Oh, wow. Look at that. Three-year-olds are good. They're, they're so in tune with their senses, right? Everything is sense with them. I like that a lot. Right? 
Wasn't that mm. good? So, anyway. Yep. So here we go. Is that four? Are we four That's in at this four. point? That's four. We're four in. Here we go. Drum roll. The four last one. This is the one that... Oh, the last one to make the cut here. Bunahaven. 18-year-old. No. <laughs> what do you mean, no? What do you mean, no? I had, I had this conversation with Jess last week. Bunahaven has never, ever been on my radar. I like the 12, right? They revamped it. We talked over it with Kirsty. No, 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 blah, no. no. Blah, hold blah. on, hold on. I'm going to pause. I need to pause Let me you finish. Here. No, 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 no. You're getting paused. And you're getting paused because I will not soon forget a comment you had made to me. And we talked about this when, when we had Kirsty McCallum on. You had messaged me or texted me or emailed me somehow, some way when that Bunahaven 12 was re-released. Yes. At forty six point three percent alcohol, and subsequently, yes. so was the eighteen year old. You mm-hmm. said to me, "Have you tried the new Bunahaven Twelve? And I said, "No, I haven't. Mm-hmm. I just it, that whiskey's never excited me." And mm-hmm. you had said, "It's now bottled at forty six point three percent alcohol. This whiskey is a revelation." Those were your words. Those were my words. Those were my words. But, 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 no other part of Bonahaven has ever held my attention. I think, yeah, that that 12 became a point on a, an OB map that was, that was very good and vital. But I don't go searching the others. It's only with Jess, who loves Bonahaven, she does. Who you just mentioned Lagavulin a moment ago as the Diageo special releases. That's one of the two that you keep a, an eye on. Yeah. Her attention to Bunahaven special releases is unlike anybody else I know yeah. anywhere. Yeah. And so it's only through Jess that I now pay a little bit more attention to Bunahaven to hear Dr. Matt bring up he's only got five spots. This is the last whiskey that made the cut into his top five. Shows I'm not saying it's po- his fifth of five. I'm yeah. just saying it's the last one to make the cut. Yeah, yeah. Bonaha- See, now I'm going to have to get some Bonahaven 18. I, th- I think you need to. Um, Gosh. I, I will okay. say, however, and, and this is my own taste, uh, the Bonahaven 12 is still good. It's not as good as it originally was good when it became good, <laughs> if you know what I mean. Um, it's still nice but it's lacking something my own personal taste it's been a while since i had the bunahaben 18 and i i feel as if i need to revisit that as well and what i like about uh dr matt's inclusion of the bunahaben 18 for me when it comes to that distillery i much prefer their unpeated Whiskey mm-hmm. slash slash very very lightly peated. I know there's an argument over that, um, and and so this being unpeated piques my interest, and and so now I'm gonna I'm gonna, I'm gonna revisit that. And let let me say one last thing because it looked like you wanted to say something, so I'm gonna pause you. And I'm not gonna allow you to do that. I just want to finish this out. I don't think I've been unpaused to be honest. I've never been paused twice. Can you do that with a VC? Zip it. Zip it. You could double pause a laser disc. I remember that. <laughs> so, so his his uh, his parenthetical comment regarding the Bunahaven eighteen, and, and then I'll close it out after that. Is 
can't not have an Isla, but this is always on my shelf as I can smell the West Coast from my glass. And then he goes on and he says, an honorable mention would be the Mortlock 16, full of hefty mouthfeel and his sweet and Scottish tablet. Jason, you may have to explain to Joshua. Now, I, I know what tablet is. <laughs> you know what tablet uh, is. I do know tablet, and I don't like it. But, you know, I still know what it is. It's I don't like hard the core. I don't like the texture. Yeah, it's hard the flavor's good, but core. the texture, yeah. Yeah, condensed milk meets boiling sugar allowed to harden into... Cu- allowed to harden... Uh, into a flat and then cut into cubes. Yeah, it's it's serious business. But when you grow up in Scotland, it is funny because we do look over to the United States and we talk about Oof, those Americans. They've got such a sweet tooth, right? If you if you ever if you're European and you come to America and you you get mm. a soda mm. at a fast food joint, the first thing that hits you is how sweet it is. It's incredible <laughs> how sweet it is. Yeah, and yet I think about the sweets of my youth in Scotland and it's all incredibly sweet incredibly so but it's a sugar cane sweetness yeah rather than a sugar syrup sweetness and I think there could be a difference well the last thing I'll say about this is how sweet it is to be loved by you Jason oh and it's and it's true there is no denying no denying That's that's interesting. I like I like Matt's um, I like Matt alluding to the the smell of the West Coast. I like that Agreed. a lot. Agreed, right? I, I like this that's bringing good. bringing you back to a to a, a sense of place, which is quite nice. So, so just very quickly list his five so that I can commit them to memory in short uh, form. Perfect, perfect, perfect. So his five are Springbank, fifteen year old, Deanston, eighteen year old. Bal Blair, 18-year-old, Craggenmore, 12-year-old, and Bunahabin, 18-year-old. That's an interesting list. That really is an interesting list. I like that. I will, I will ruminate over that hmm. uh, as my day becomes a week, becomes a month. Good, good, That's good. good. I like that. So if you want to reach out to us uh, in a similar manner in which uh, Christopher Sebastian, Seabass, reached out to us, oh... Right, go ahead. Can I pause you for one second, Jeez my friend? Louise. Yeah, go ahead. Go there, ahead. There's, there's no better time to mm. bring up an email from James Foster. <gasps> oh, and, yes, 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 yes. And like you, I, I do need to get out of here. I do need to bring this recording to a close. But again, the Foster email is apropos yeah. for what we're covering here. Okay. So, we've... I, I, you know, you said it earlier, you know, as if it was a bad thing. I, I don't feel that we've been shitting on marketing departments today, but we've certainly been drawing attention to them. And Foster's email. You've been drawing here, flies to them as you shit on them. <laughs> <laughs> but here's the thing: for me, it hasn't been from a great height. We haven't shit on them from a great height, and okay. that's, that's a, a that's very a point. different that's a, proposition. That's a very good point. Right, and so th- this this actually comes in from uh, from the end of April. This is actually only from uh, about four weeks ago from okay. Foster, so we haven't have left them hanging too long. My my wife is currently shouting at the dog in the living room. I don't know if my microphone is picking up any of her hollering. And Joshua is just throwing things across his office here. So my earbud fell normal out my head. service will, will be resumed <laughs> in just a second. 
Okay, so... Okay, so let's, let, let's get wrapped up and let's get out of here. Okay. So, James Foster, mm-hmm. I just listened to your revulsion to the extra words in quote-unquote pin number mm-hmm. and quote-unquote ATM machine. Mm-hmm. During that exchange, Joshua said that something was quote-unquote very unique. Funny thing. Shit. I forgot to tell you why I laugh when I hear the word unique. It's because something either is unique or it isn't. It doesn't make sense to say something is very unique in almost the same way that one shouldn't say pin number. Once you've said pin, you've already said number. And once you've said very, you've ruled out the possibility of saying unique. To quote Tom Lehrer, L-E-H-R-E-R, if you haven't enjoyed my song, you've yourself to blame if it's too long. You should never have let me begin. (laughs) And that's it. Foster's Uh, out of here on that quote. I love uh, it. And so here's here's a thing, here's a thing, and and why I thought this was apropos. What do we hear from marketing departments about this unique whiskey and that extremely unique whiskey Mm. and this other very unique whiskey? (laughs) You know, there's one part of this where no matter, you you, you even talk about unique casks of whiskey. Mm-hmm. And and you and I with Single Cast Nation have always tried to talk about singular moments in time. Yes. Yep. When it comes to a particular cask, rather than falling into the trap of this unique cask and that unique cask and this other unique cask. Because there is a point at which by the time you've put liquid into a different coloured bottle with a different coloured or different type of label in a different type of gift carton, right? All of those things are unique to that product. Mm -hmm. But it's a banal point that is temporally, spatially accurate, but completely uninteresting, right? And so to use unique as a selling point on a whiskey is to suggest that you've run out of all other points, right? And so focus on the interesting nature of a particular release and really get behind that. And to bring our episode full circle is to identify what Bill Lumsden wants to present in his whiskey projects and what the marketing department wants to jump on as unique qualities mm-hmm. of a release. Mm-hmm. Dragon cask, dark sherry casks, right? A couple of the the entries that we've sure. covered so sure. far. Yeah. And so I, I love Foster bringing up you can't have very unique. And I would go farther to say within whiskey marketing, we ought not 
have unique go on in there either. I, after hearing what James Foster had to say, after you, not clarifying, but building upon his words, I agree with you. But not everybody thinks that way. Right. That, oh. That's that's why that's why marketing works for every industry because no one thinks this way. Right. This is that's just it. But if we're going to rail against caramel coloring, and if we're going to rail against chill filtration, if we're going to rail against the over dilution of mm -hmm. of OB releases, then we ought to also rail against marketing's use of the word unique. Well, I am going to rail against recording too much longer here because this has been a long episode. So what I will say to people, if if you, like the good Christopher Sebastian, a.k.a. Seabass, or James Foster, a.k.a. James Foster, uh, want to email us, you could do so, questions at onenationunderwhiskey.com. If you feel so inclined as to reach out to us on Facebook like uh, the good Dr. Matt Bishop did, uh, if you're a Single Cast Nation member and you're not on our members-only Single Cast Nation page, please, like Jason had said earlier, look for the page, ask to join the page, answer the questions that it asks you. Very simple questions. Just answer them, and we will let you in. And you can also reach out to us at our One Nation Under Whiskey Facebook page if you're if you're one of those crazy people on Twitter, we are at One Nation Whiskey. And if you're on Instagram, we are at One Nation Under Whiskey. So you can contact us in all of those different ways. Jason, is there anything that you want to say? Because you've got this sort of confused look on your face. Is there something you want to say before we get out of here? So the, the interesting thing, dear listener, is as I was asking Jason that question, his computer, um, I think the scientific term is shit the bed. And, uh, and so I'm just looking at him through our FaceTime thing and he's waving and he's nodding and he's smiling and he's winking and please pull your pants up, sir. He's clinking glasses or bottles together. Jason, thank you. Listeners, thank you. Dr. Bill, Thank you. Uh, David Blackmore, who helped coordinate the conversation between us and, and the good Dr. Bill, thank you as well. Until next time, dear listener, cheerio. Two chins, as Jason says, and he's blowing kisses. Cheers, everybody. Cheers, everybody.